Hi, I'm Dr. Len Baer, the host of Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit and all the things surrounding it. And this is a week 35 episode. This weekend, we're celebrating an International Targeted Individual Day. Officially, it's this Tuesday, August 29, and we will have an extended Zoom call um, to look at the past, present, and the future of targeting. I wish I was in Houston this weekend to join hands with my TI brothers and sisters. But I know someone who, who was there, someone uh, who was met with a standing ovation no matter where she went because of the enormous love and gratitude for what she has accomplished in the short times since the lawsuit was filed. Anna Talita, you must feel pretty uplifted by the expression of admiration people have for you. Please say hello to our viewers, Anna. Hi, good morning, Len, and good morning, everybody out there. Yeah, I, you know, I am so honored and I am so humbled and I am so grateful and so motivated to continue doing what I'm doing with so much passion. So uh, happy to be here with my new shirt. Oh, yes. Uh, we're all now having a uniform. Uh, it's uh, it's becoming a it's becoming a cult. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Anna. Um, and good morning. morning. Also joining us today is the founder of Targeted Justice, Richard Lighthouse. It's not easy these days being Richard Lighthouse, as our organization and its leadership is being feverishly smeared, defamed, and stripped of resources. And yet, Richard's, Richard is holding it together. Despite directed energy attacks, he is personally and continuously subjected to, as we all saw in one of the recent newsletter, uh, newsletter issue, which is truly upsetting. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Len. Thank you for that introduction. I, I, I did did want to mention that I, I'm one of uh, uh, many people that were part of the founding of, of Targeted Justice. Um, uh, the, the four original founders, uh, and I've mentioned this before, are um, Susan, um, Midge, Dolly, and Christy, and we extend our warmest thanks to them. So thank you for that introduction. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Richard. So we have founding fathers and founding mothers, but we all one big have family. And I, I absolutely believe that you are holding us together um, and keep running our organization on all cylinders, which is what is required for this fight. Not many people know that Richard is a physicist by education and career, that Richard is a standard university graduate, and he has perfect credential for the much anticipated segment on the weaponization of cell towers, which we will discuss in the second part of today's show. But first, let's get a legal update and perhaps an update on the TI Day festivities by the Honorable Anna Toledo. 
Um, thank you for that. I'm, I'm delighted to be here with my two of my favorite persons right now in the world. Uh, and that, you know, as, as members of the Board of Targeted Justice, you know, we all know how much we're uh, struggling and fighting for this, uh, such an important organization. Um, I think it's appropriate to talk about uh, something called the Dolbert Principle. Uh, regarding regarding the appeal, I'm just working. I have my due date for uh, filing my appeal brief is on the 5th of September. After that, the Court of Appeals will issue a scheduling order stating when the government has to file their brief, then when my reply brief would be due, and then uh, when the oral arguments, we're going to petition for oral arguments. That's when we want everyone to flock to New Orleans if uh, the government doesn't uh, start the COVID mandates. Maybe just to prevent that, because this is, I don't know if you saw this week, uh, I was in the David Icke's uh, program and he said, this, she has filed the most important lawsuit of the century and he has it right. So um, it, it wouldn't uh, surprise me that the government would try to curtail our opportunity to bring uh, to the world light before the world uh, attention to this. Uh, so that's, you know, I will keep you posted as soon as uh, I file my brief, I will get that scheduling order. And of course uh, we anticipate what the government will try to do, uh, but I'm not, I'm not gonna speak about that now. Now, in the context of um, uh, Richard, uh, I want to say that um, prior, uh, we have been trying to get an expert on directed energy weapons and people shall the, the two persons I have talked to, um, they one has a conflict of interest. He's a very decent man. And the other one uh, could muster the courage, right? Because this because it takes a courageous person to be an expert in this case. And so um, uh, there is something called the Dobert principle. And that is a the requirements for a court, it, it was said by the Supreme Court of the United States in the case um, Dober versus Merrill Doe Pharmaceuticals in 1993. And it basically establishes the criteria for a person to be deemed, to be accepted as an expert of the court, uh, to advise the court on technical matters. So the importance of this is that uh, the, the targeted community is blessed to have Richard Lighthouse as a founding member of Targeted Justice and as an unconditional expert. Because as you have said, he graduated from Texas A&M. He did a master's in Stanford. He also has a degree from Rice and he has dedicated, he has the work experience and he has dedicated himself for the past five now six years almost, uh, to discovering, investigating, discovering, and documenting uh, the, the phenomenon of the directed energy weapons attacks on innocent Americans and people around the world. Now, having said that, I have to tell you about uh, a few little um, uh, credentials that uh, I, I'm gonna basically toot his horn uh, because it's important that the TI community realize how blessed we are 
to have an expert that he can act as a non-retained expert in our case because of his thorough knowledge of this. And he's not going to charge a penny. That doesn't happen. That is a dream come true for any attorney. Okay. And uh, let me just, you know, right now he is in the top 2% of academia.edu. That is a conglomerate of, that publishes, as you know, uh, papers by by uh, professionals, you know, and you are number one in the top 1% because of your uh, the studies you have published. Okay, that is a very high, that is a huge accomplishment. And, and I just urge TIs that uh, just listen to people that say the contrary, go research it for yourself. Don't believe what other people may maliciously tell you. Go check it out for yourself. Be informed like this, like, like you said about this podcast today, information is power. Be informed, don't just repeat things you hear. Then I'm gonna tell you this, uh, I listened to Scott Adams uh, two days ago. He said that there are 48 million Kindle books in Amazon. Now, with that figure in mind, uh, you should know that Lighthouse has six ebooks published in Amazon. And one of his, uh, that is the first periodic table for elementary particles. Don't ask me about that because, you know, I'm, I'm not a math and science person, but you know what? It's number, it's the ranking is number three in one in short uh, science, number four in molecular physics number 13 in cosmology. And if you go down the ranks, he has another one, number five, number five among 48 million books. Okay. Um, and, uh, the other one is number nine in physics of statistics. Just check them out. Uh, I will, I can share with you this six, number three, uh, the one on targeted individuals, technical information is number three in microwave electrical engineering. Number 53 in microwaves communications. And I just urge people when they hear things that are negative about the only institution that is fighting in a court, in an important case, the case of the century to end your targeting, ask yourself if anybody comes with disparaging comments or, or defamatory comments, say, Wait, where is this coming from? Can there be a conflict of interest involved? Is there uh, some mind control going on? And that's all I ask you, uh, because it, it, um, when somebody is helping you it, and, a, and a whole community, you have to wonder where that's coming from. And the only one last thing I wanted to mention is that uh, some people have been uh, incorrectly stating that our lawsuit was dismissed because of lack of evidence. That is not true. That is a false statement. And I'll explain why. At a pleading stage, we're not talking about evidence. We are talking about allegations, about pleadings. And when those allegations are not, you know, based on, you know, not, not in real facts, that is when dismissal should follow. But in our case, as we have reiterated on many occasions, 80% of the statements in that lawsuit, some of them have been copied and pasted from government reports. So they are factual and they are accurate. Okay. Uh, so it is incorrect and it is a false statement for anyone to say that our lawsuit 
was dismissed for lack of evidence because what the court said is, oh, they haven't seen the list and they don't even have it exactly because it's under the exclusive control of the FBI and that's what we're going for. It is our a posture that the court should have ordered as it has in all the cases challenging the TSDB access to the attorney or at least for the court to examine the TSDB. And this is the one and only case where such thing didn't happen, where the court didn't have the curiosity to ask, can I please see this? Okay. So uh, that's all I had to say. Uh, we are, we should be very grateful and uh, that we have Richard uh, as a person that can explain to the court, has the credentials, can be accepted as an expert on the Dolberg principle. And, uh, and more important than anything, has demonstrated, has the passion to end targeting up for everyone, even for those that criticize and defame and, and, and don't construct. So uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Uh, this is a, but every time I lear, learn something from you, the Daubert principle, never heard of it. Now this is my homework. So we will definitely take a closer look at it because knowledge is power. And that's what we're here for, to educate you, to empower you and ourselves. Um, I totally agree with your sentiment that um, uh, places like academia.edu have become a hub for true research. If you listen to RFK Jr., who was asked recently, what would be your one of your first things you would do as a president? He said, and I quote, as soon as I have my new attorney general, I will ask him to contact the editors of all major scientific publication and tell them that no longer they will uh, be under the influence of major pharmaceutical and, and commercial companies. Otherwise, um, they will be charged with racketeering. That's not, this is not a random statement. Uh, that's why hubs for research like academia.edu where Richard's papers are in the top, top percentile this is where people get real information from real expert, uh, the experts that the government don't want you to hear. This is this is a new time. This is a different time, and you expressed expressed it perfectly. I think that uh, he should expand that beyond pharmaceutical companies because I know for a fact from a, a daughter of an oceanographer that oceanographers are being um, kept a uh, silent and they're not allowed you know because if you if you're a professor university professor how do they get you well they cut off your funding uh they are not talking about the massacre going on in the bottom of the oceans for the for the mining of rare earth metals so i say to uh, uh robert kennedy jr that he should um expand it to all kinds of pressure 
because the industry of the batteries, uh, electric batteries, and on all those rare metal components, they are pressuring uh, these oceanographers to keep quiet. And I know that for a fact. Thank you, Anna. Uh, before I let you go, I have to I have to tell people about something that transpired this week. The trolls have been activated, and and I know you you are active on Twitter. You sent me several uh, screenshots, and this is what I wrote to Anna this week, dear friends, dear Anna. I will let you in on a secret. Twitter trolls are like leeches; they need your emotions to survive. That's their currency. But your bank is not doing business with Twitter trolls. So they're crowding outside the entrance, trying to get a glimpse of your emotional response. But you keep smiling, keep shining, and going about your business, which is not with the internet trolls. You have a real serious business with the guardians of the constitution in the fifth circuit who can't wait to read your judicial poetry. So the trolls are returning back to their caves, starving. Leeches be gone, Len. I, I, and I thank you for that. Uh, and uh, one of the good things of that is that we have never seen uh, the, the government criminals running this program so nervous. Uh, they are uh, sending people out there to to do all kinds of trolling. And what I, I personally do in, in my uh, Twitter feed is I, I mute or I block people because I'm not going to be bothered with anybody that doesn't understand that my efforts come from the heart and they are genuine and they are transparent. Anybody that doesn't get it, doesn't deserve to be in my Twitter line. So that's, you know, that's how I do it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's just very sad because the sacrifices you make, I make, we all make are, are huge. Uh, we smile here, I smile here, but people don't realize that, that we go through a lot. And we'll keep yeah. smiling. Thank you, Anna, for this legal update, for this expanded legal update. We talked about a lot of things. I got my homework. Let's move on and speak to our special guest, Richard Lighthouse. So, Richard, what projects are occupying your time these days besides, besides keeping targeted justice, justice.com running on all cylinders? Richard? Thank you for that, Lynn. Um, uh, I, I wanted to mention very quickly that folks should also look up um, Dr. Len Baer on academia.edu. He's trending very highly, um, above 1%. His uh, technical papers that he's written are, are very popular and, and are being shared on social media. So please also uh, look up Dr. Len Baer, uh, particularly those in, that are interested in his paper about MAC address emissions from the human body and uh, other, other technical issues surrounding a COVID shot. So please look that up. Um, we have a number, we have a large number of projects going on right now at Targeted Justice. We're very fortunate to have uh, our two advisory board members, um, Gaji and Devin, 
that are are really running uh, a, a significant percentage of the organization uh, through our nightly conference calls and projects that we're doing with individual members uh, all over the world. And I can't overstate just how important that is. Uh, we also get a, a huge amount of support from our volunteers uh, every day, almost every day. And uh, that, that, that teamwork is what uh, propels us forward. I, I think uh, many of our viewers and listeners are, uh, underestimate the number of man hours we have to put in to, to produce the newsletter, to have things run smoothly, um, to develop and, and manage these projects long-term, to manage the emails, the content. Um, it's it's a, a huge effort, and so we thank all the people uh, that that are supporting Targeted Justice and working on our team. Um, so, a couple of technical issues. Um, one of the one of the questions we routinely get and answer in email is, "I might be a targeted individual. What can I do? How can I find out?" Um, the simplest test that we suggest is the ear cup test. So move to a quiet room that's that's very quiet, maybe late at night, and cup your ears like this and hold it for a minute and listen very carefully. Because um, if you're a targeted individual, they're tracking your location with what we call um, cell tower uh, microwave bullets or popcorn. And uh, if you cup your ears quietly and you're a targeted individual, you'll hear what sounds like a microwave popcorn in a distant room. It'll sound like pop, 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 pop. Pop, and uh, this this is the indication that your your the location of your head is being tracked twenty four hours a day from cell towers all around you. Um, so this is this is one definitive measure you can do. It, it's completely free, and we encourage targeted individuals that have never tried that before to try that test. So you you should be able to hear it. Um, we're, we're uh, um, I'm not sure that answers your question. Maybe that was a long-winded answer, Lynn. Well, uh, Richard, I, it's interesting that you mentioned cell towers because this is really the uh, what I was, uh, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about. The cell tower issue is enormous. It, then it has to be dealt with. Beamforming capabilities of the cell towers has to be brought to the surface and discussed openly without the fear of persecution. So I prepared some slides. If it's okay with you, allow me to share the slides and let's have a conversation around it. So these are the slides that I called cellular towers and beamforming. And so we'll um, talk at the cell towers and the phenomenon of uh, beamforming today. Cellular towers, are everywhere. According to the latest March 2023 report but the, by the Wireless Infrastructure Association, uh, also known as WIA, there are 142,000 cell towers in the continental U.S. And this is not counting small cells, uh, which is also, uh, I have some questions about. Um, Beamforming, is the act of focusing a wireless signal in a specific direction. Compared to simply sending a signal across a wide area, as you can see on the left, 
Uh, Beamforming requires more sophisticated antenna technology and it shoots in, in a specific direction. Um, there's also a phenomenon called beam steering. Beam steering is achieved by changing the phase of the input signal on, the, on all radiating elements. Phase shifting allows the signals to be targeted at a specific receiver. An antenna can employ radiating elements with a common frequency to steer a single beam in a specific direction. As, and as you can see, there's about 45 degrees phase shift. So you can have beam forming um, within a 90% uh, angle. And different frequency beam can also be steered in different directions to serve different users. This is uh, data I, I got from Metaswitch, but I also want to go into uh, what Targeted Justice has provided on uh, our site. So this is a slide that uh, a lot of you have seen and Rob, uh, Richard, I would like you, I would like to hear your comments because not, a lot of people have seen the slide, but not many people have seen the slide with commentaries uh, from you, Richard, please. Thanks, Lynn. So this, this brief diagram is, to, is intended to give people a general understanding of what's occurring and how the beam forming from the cell towers can be pointed very directly at them wherever they are. These uh, very focused beams, now it, it looks fairly um, um, thick in the diagrams here, but if you stretch that diagram out over several miles, that beam essentially takes on the shape of a laser beam. Um, so, and that laser beam can travel for many miles. The theoretical limit is something like 50 miles. Um, however, that's, that's not real practical, for example, in an urban environment. Um, we, we, we need to emphasize the TIs that uh, when it's used in conjunction with a scalar beam, it can travel through many buildings to hit you. It's not coming from your neighbor's house. You're being hit from a cell tower that might be two miles away or three miles away. So it's very important that people understand it. More than that, you can, you, it's important to understand that you can be broadcasting from a, a four of these panel antennas at different frequencies and pointing at different targets simultaneously. Um, so they can use frequency hopping. They can use um, um, different frequencies. Um, in MIMO stands for multiple input, multiple output. So, so basically that antenna can also receive the absorption signal. Um, if, for example, if you put up a, a, a mattress or something, it'll actually measure reduced reflected signal and, and they can adjust the intensity to, to increase it based on how much the signal is being absorbed. So there's a number of things that they can do in real time in addition to beam steering and frequency hopping and things like that. So just be aware that the, the simple diagram really understates what, what is occurring. Allow me to switch to uh, the next slide, also found on uh, Target Justice. Yes, thanks, Lynn. So in this uh, diagram, we're trying to show you more of the details that are involved when four panel antennas are working together to create a single microwave beam. And uh, the side lobes are actually produced because it's not 100% efficient. 
Um, as you reduce the number of panel antennas, it, it, the, the, the beam forming capability gets sloppier. So for example, if we were only using three antennas, you would see uh, one large bulb and then three large side lobes. And it's, it's even sloppier unless you go down to two and it's, it's really not even a beam, it's just a projection region. So uh, four, four panel antennas are the minimum that's required. Um, all the, the, the Ericsson uh, patent, this 10164694, is actually a very sophisticated patent and contained within that, if for people that are interested, you'll see all in within that patent application, all the previous patents uh, that are related to the use of network being forming, which is a very sophisticated comp uh, concept. Um, and, and the prior patents filed by Ericsson that date back to 2007, 2005, and I think even earlier. So all the patents that have been accepted at the U.S. Patent Office that are related to this more advanced concept. And so we can see the timeline of how this technology has developed. Um, so, and, and again, this, this diagram oversimplifies what, what's actually occurring. I understand, Richard. Sometimes oversimplification is the way to go because the issues are so complex that you have, you really have to start with the very basic understanding. And I think, uh, my takeaway from your explanation of uh, this diagram is that beam forming is possible with a three panel antenna, but it's not sufficient enough for quality targeting for, for the for, for lack of a better term. But the four panels uh, make it sufficient enough for effective targeting. Is that a correct understanding? That's, that's correct. That's correct. So th three panel antennas could be used. It would be very sloppy. It would be an error accurate. And you'd really be targeting a region rather than a point. You'd get a very circular type uh, of output from the main lobe and, and it would be uh, sloppy and, and inefficient. So it, it, it would not give you any results that, that were useful. Um, so uh, the four panel antennas is the, the minimum really that's required to do effective beam forming. I really like the language. I, I think if we TIs adopt that language, adopt that understanding, and we walk by a three-panel uh, cell tower, and we can say, oh, yeah, well, this is a sloppy beam form in cell towers. It, it makes conversations interesting, and, and people who don't have a degree in physics, who don't have that that uh, deep understanding of the issues can still talk about it. I think it would be interesting for people who are not targets as well. So I like I like the language. I like these uh, little memorable moments. Thank you, Richard. Here's the patent that you meant that was mentioned in the uh, previous slide. Patent was issued in 2018, and as just like you said, the, this is a, an Ericsson patent, and I. Um, put an abstract on the uh, screen and I kind of highlighted and underlined portions that uh, I thought would be interesting to discuss. So the method comprises obtaining from a wireless device a pre-coding matrix indicator to be used for transmission and also selecting the code book from a set of code book books according to the receiver indicated and, and pre-coding pre transmission of signals 
of using the selected code board. To me, this tells me that the way they find the device to project a beamforming effect to is determined by the code of the wireless device. Uh, is that my is that a correct understanding? Uh, yes, yes. It's it's. Um, uh, I I think even even this description uh, oversimplifies uh, the complexity that can be put into it. Um, the, the net it's the the the, the real tie beat is beamforming using an antenna array, but this particular patent takes it kind of a step former further because most people think that comes from a single cell tower. What they're describing here is they can pick a panel from separate cell towers and create an, create an array. So if you had, rather than four panel antennas side by side that you can visually see, there might be, these might be a single panel separated uh, on individual cell towers that are very far apart. So they're saying that mathematics is not limited to something you're doing from a single cell tower, that they can use the network and create a, a, a very fine, very accurate uh, beam forming um, from several south towers or more. That's that's an interesting concept. I never thought about this possibility. Uh, I also have a question: Is precoding matrix indicator? They're talking about it being a part of a digital device, but could it be a biological code? That's an interesting question, Lan. I um, it, there's nothing in the patent itself that that limits uh, the use to uh, a, a physical structure, um, and it's very quite it's quite possible that some of the lead intelligence and research agencies are looking into something like that. I, I'm not personally familiar with that, but it, it, it's certainly an interesting question. Well, it's interesting. Do you allow for that possibility? And if we think about it in this way, it it helps us to connect these hypothetical dots to see a bigger picture and how it applies to targeting. Uh, I just want to um, bring to the attention, because I know this question was asked of me uh, this week, and what he just answered, I think it's very relevant. I would, I would like Richard to explain. Somebody asked me, how is the RNM done? And uh, his reply was that it's two uh, beams uh, a cross in your brain. So I want to know if this, what you're talking about here, about signals from two different towers, if that is one of the ways it's done or does it come from the same tower? And just, just for you to explain the difference between how V2K with these with these beams formed, how V2K is formed vis-a-vis -vis the RNM. Okay, that, that's a good question, Anna, thank you. Um, we, we get a lot of questions about remote, remote neural monitoring and it's, it's, it's a very sophisticated technology and um, there are not many experts on it. I, I don't pretend to be an expert on a particular subject, but there are a number of patents on it. The patent um, that we reference is, is listed on our homepage. I don't know that one right off the top of my head, but we do have it listed. If, you'll, if, you'll, if you're interested, go and get a copy of that patent. You can download it on the internet and you'll find that it describes a method where two cell tower signals are intersected in your brain and it captures the individual brain waves. 
So what they're describing, and this is not a recent technology, what they're describing is they're capturing brain waves. They're not reading your mind. They're simply taking the brain waves and converting it into words. So the, a one particular mic signal, and, and this, I'm, again, I'm oversimplifying, a particular waveform might be the word for house, and another one might be for dog, and another word, and another brain form, uh, waveform for outside. And from that, we can conclude they're talking about the dog being outside of the house. Um, so technically, they're not reading your mind with this remote neural monitoring technology uh, that we're describing. They're reading brain waves and making a conversion to individual words and then stringing those words together. So um Maybe, maybe for many people, they're like, so what's the difference? That's, that's still reading my mind. And that may be a valid point as well. But it, it, with, without the use of computers, it, it, would, it would be impossible to do. So um, thank you for that question, Anna. I, I, I encourage those that are interested in that patent, you can look it up. This is not new technology. It's, it's um, um, fairly old technology. So, All right. Let's talk about a different as aspect of cell uh, towers and uh, beamforming. Who owns these towers? Uh, and uh, Target Justice recently had a substack where I got this information from. On the left, you can see five companies with the uh, largest number of towers. Uh, and it is American Tower, Crown Castle, SBA Communication, a vertical bridge, and United States Cellular. Based on that, I decided to look at the business side of things and at least um, see how big is the business. So four, four of these five companies are publicly traded. It means that the information is available to any uh, shareholders or prospective shareholders. This is the nature of a public, a publicly traded company to share their financial information with the uh, public. And um, uh, market cap. If uh, if you're not an investor, if you don't know what it is, uh, if you take the price of each share and multiply it by the amount of shares, that will create the market cap. It's sort of a value of the business, how much the market values this business. If you were to buy all the shares, this is what uh, uh, you, this is the, the value you would end up with. And so AMT is American Towers. Uh, its market cap is $82 billion. Crown Castle with a uh, trading um, symbol CCI, $43 billion. Uh, SBA Communication, $48 billion. Uh, Vertical Bridge is a, is a privately held company, so there's no information about that. And finally, United States Cellular, Cellular or USM uh, has a market value of $3 billion. So we are talking about a multi-billion businesses. And what's interesting is... Um, for example, for American Towers, I looked up uh, who owns the shares. And 98% of these shares actually held by financial institutions. And what that means is that pension funds uh, that do not 
play the market. They like stable investments and they invest through this financial institution and they're the major shareholder, major shareholders. So somebody with a pension fund, your future, your future pension depends on the value of the stock that your financial institution invested in. So imagine if we put it out in the front in the public domain and, and all of a sudden people realize that this publicly traded company never disclosed that the beamforming capabilities are used to torture their fellow citizens. Imagine what happens to the to the uh, stock value and therefore what happens to the pensions of the people. Uh, is that a plausible scenario, Richard? What do you think? Well, it's 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 a good point to make, Lynn. And and in our newsletter, we were alerting uh, officially uh, for the purposes of targeted justice to let some of the executives at each of these companies know that we are aware what their cell towers are being used for. Um, the appropriate reaction on their part should be to ask us questions like, "How do you know that?" And uh, can you identify specific towers that have that problem? Um, but that's not how they're responding. Um, uh, they're not responding at all in most cases. We're not aware of any uh, official responses back to targeted justice denying or uh, certainly not asserting that, that our claims are correct. So uh, if there was a problem and if they were unaware of it, the appropriate response would have been to, hey, can we have a meeting with you guys? Maybe something's going on we don't know about. That's not the response we got. I understand, Richard. Here's my plan. I decided to buy a single share of all these these four uh, publicly traded companies and and write to the companies as a shareholder. And as a shareholder, uh, the companies are obligated to answer your questions. And so I will go uh, that route and and see what the company's answer answers are and if the company is a uh, company answers are not truthful i'll take it to the uh, security and exchange commission and see what they have to say about these unfair practice of not disclosing material information about their technology so that's i'm just sharing my my personal plan let's go to the next slide so I also looked at each of these companies, not all of them, and I found out that the beamforming is actually disclosed uh, on the company's website. So, for example, this is a part of American Tower uh, U.S. technology and 5G update issued in April of 2018, and this is before sort of the main rollout of 5G update, and they compare the 4G and 5G technology. And I learned that the adaptive beamforming and something called uh, OMIMO, uh, which is uh, uh, which stands for multiple input, multiple output, uh, which expands the capacity of a cell by using multiple antenna to transmit and receive the signal, something you, Richard, mentioned also. Um, and beamforming, they just they define what uh, uh, beamforming is. This is from their official um, uh, 
materials. So they actually admit to using beam forming technology, which makes our, our job easier. Uh, do you have any comments about this specific slide, Richard? Yeah, this, this is an important slide. We, we need to get, um, uh, for future purposes, we want to get uh, clear admissions uh, that they understand what the cell towers are being, are being used for, how the technology is being used, um, that they're, if they're simply owners and operators of these towers and then they're renting space on the tower to Verizon and T-Mobile and to Sprint and, and these uh, cell phone companies, the, the, the assault is still happening on their, from their property. And uh, I'll, I'll defer to our legal counsel on that, but uh, I, I think that makes them culpable. Legal counsel, do you have any, any comments? <laughs> well, to me, it's like a, in product liability. When you put a product out there or the use of your product causes a damage to someone, you're ab absolutely liable. And, and one of the things that uh, we're looking at is that uh, these cell towers are preparing directed energy weapons and putting them at the disposition because they don't operate them, putting them at the disposition of the operators at the US Space Force. And that is, they're not in the business of, of uh, supplying weapons to the uh, Space Force. So they should uh, rethink their little um, a, a weaponization uh, activities and they should de-weaponize all cell towers. One of the things, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Richard, is that if the cell towers were de-weaponized, the program would collapse. Although we know that satellites are, uh, you know, he is in his estimation, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, account for 10% of the attacks. Um, the truth is that if cell tower companies de-weaponized what, you know, the illegally weaponized uh, towers that are being illegally used to perpetrate torture on innocent people around the world and in the United States, then the program would collapse because V2K, RNM, and microwave attacks, all 90% of them come from weaponized cell towers. Richard? I, yes, I, I, I agree with that. Um, in fact, I, I think it's probably higher than 90%, but um, we're simply trying to emphasize the point that the majority of microwave attacks that targeted individuals receive the vast majority of subliminal messagings that, that, that are sent around the United States in particular, um, and the voice-to-skull transmissions. The vast majority of that comes from cell towers. That doesn't mean satellites can't can't perform some of those functions. If you're in an aircraft at 35,000 feet, you're not being attacked by a cell tower. The, the, the satellites take over at some point uh, after you leave the ground in that airplane. So the satellites and the cell towers work like hand in glove. They, they work together uh, to continue to perform the tracking and, and the attacks 24 hours a day. Thank you, Richard, for that explanation. Uh, one last comment about this specific slide and, and some of the slides that will follow. Most of the disclosure of the beam forming technology, uh, technologies being available from these companies date 2018, 2015, 2013, 
but nothing recently. And I wonder if that is their strategy to prevent um, the association between Beamforming and, and these companies between Beamforming will come out as a way of torturing Americans. Just my just my guess. But let's go to the information by the next company. So this is about Crown Castle. And I found this article dated uh, February 2018 announcing this uh, unique platform uh, that leverages a fully virtualized end-to-end -end solution in the implementation of user, user tracing beamforming antennas for the first time in a live environment. So it's been done in collaboration with Crown Castle and it's achieved by um, combining 5G technology, uh, MIMO, which we just explained, and something called active antenna system and beamforming. So this is this is this is the information coming from Crown Castle. Is that something different or they're talking about pretty much the same technology, Richard? Uh, I, I think they're they're talking about the same technology. I, I think that um, uh, they like the the use of these buzzwords and and the technology is not something that's readily explained to uh, people that are outside of the telecom industry. Um, I think that it would be user tracing could be misinterpreted. Uh, so I'm not sure I fully understand what, what the, the point they're trying to make there, but that, that technology certainly already exists prior to 2018 has been used that way. So uh, maybe they're trying to offer it as a commercial package to say that, you know, we can track where your, your FedEx delivery trucks are, or we can track where uh, all your taxis are located. Um, so I, th I think maybe they're trying to build it into a commercial package that they, they, they can sell to uh, wholesale customers. I, I'm not sure exactly. In other words, the, the, the definition of these terms um, uh, leaves a little to be desired. I understand. Uh, this, this slide was a result of my search of Crown Castle in conjunction with Beamforming. And, and so I didn't find any documents coming from Crown Castle, uh, annual reports, or quarterly reports uh, containing the word beamforming. But I found this uh, sort of uh, news article that uh, involves um, this technology. Anna, you have a comment about it? Yes, well, now you're going to have to be on the lookout for uh, their 8K and their 10Ks. Is on the um, forward-looking statements and the uh, potential liability, because I know that a lot of targeted individuals with the grassroots organizing that Goji has done, they have been sending letters demanding that the de weaponization of these towers. So they have to, they are obligated to report to their shareholders that they might be liable for, jointly liable um, for the torture and attacks, microwave attacks on innocent people, of course, they're going to put it in, you know, in pretty words. But if they don't do so, they're going to be in violation of the SEC Rule 10b-5. And that's what we're going to be looking at in, in the next few months. Next slide. 
this is something I found uh, from SBA Communications. And once again, this is a 2011 annual report. There's nothing about beamforming and smart antenna that I found in the later report. Um, here's a quote from the annual report. The use of technologies that enhance spectral capacity, such as beamforming or smart antenna, that can increase the range and capacity of an antenna is something that they're working on. And then silence. Once again, very suspicious. And the reason I think is because beamforming will be known as the tool of torturing American citizens. With that, I would like to go to uh, one of the most recent uh, newsletters uh, by Targeted Justice, a very extremely popular newsletter. And uh, since we're talking about Substack and newsletter, I want to remind people, but now we activated your ability to donate uh, and uh, create paid subscriptions on Substack. So if this is a single place where you can both subscribe to the newsletter and make a donation by creating a paid subscription. It's really easy, one click. Uh, most of you already subscribe uh, because the number of our subscribers is is uh, uh, way above 8,000 uh, people and it's growing every month. Uh, and it's because of uh, posts like this, very informative. Uh, the post is called Sell to Our Companies and how you can expose these crimes. And I, what really, I really like about Targeted Justice Newsletter it because it has actionable items. It gives you a blueprint of what you as a targeted individual or an ally can do. It literally says, what can I do to help? And then it lists eight actionable items. And number four, adapt the cease and desist letter to your needs and then it gives a template of a letter and which you can find which you can send to one of uh, uh, your cell tower companies the below is the address for targetedjustice.substack.com and i know that richard and anna you have been instrumental in creating this very popular newsletter richard Please uh, comment on this. You bring up a good point, Len. So one, one of the many programs uh, or projects that we've got going on um, that uh, Devin and Goji are, are work on every week, um, we want folks to participate in um, the cease and desist letter campaigns and, and to help expose these crimes. So. I encourage you to visit this particular newsletter. If you haven't already drafted some letters, uh, identified some cell tower uh, owner and operators in, 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 a, in a one to two mile radius around your house. Again, that's on antennasearch.com. We've discussed this in the past. And we encourage you to get involved. You can do your part to help shut down this program. Thank you. I, I really like the actionable items. This is not just a discussion. This is a plan of action, and I just absolutely love it. This is something I found out just by doing, by preparing these slides. Apparently, in, in addition to the large cell towers, 
their so-called 5G small cells. And this is what they look like. Despite their size, small cells are not weak. The tech inside these cells is what allows 5G to be so fast and support the growing number of devices requiring internet access. Inside a small cell is radio equipment necessary for transmitting data to and from connected devices. The antennas within the small cell are highly directional and use beamforming to direct attention to areas around the tower. Richard. Thanks, Lynn. This is this is uh, one example, and I'm, brought, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, one way to see this, and again, I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but um, inside that box, basically, you've got four panels. Um, it's at a much smaller scale, and the frequencies that are used are much higher, but it still has the capability to do beamforming from a single small 5G antenna. Now, pay attention to the size of those wires. Now, without looking at the equipment on the ground, I can look at the size of that wire and tell you it's probably not weaponized. A weaponized cell tower uses a huge amount of electricity. Um, this particular antenna, I would say, is using a very modest amount of electricity. And that's one of the things I try to point out when we've got specific examples that we can show. Um, here in Houston, they recently put up some 5G towers in Memorial Park. Um, and they're, they're on three different sides. They each get their own 120-degree um, angle. And um, the, the, the weaponized ones uh, make themselves readily identifiable because the transformers on the ground are rated for 21 to 25,000 volts, or, or, or KVA. And uh, that's a huge amount of electricity. And once I read that transformer rating and look at the electricity box, I know right away, even if I can't see the wires because they're running up inside the, the, the pole, um, that's a weaponized tower. <laughs> if it's going to use that much electricity, it's definitely weaponized. Excellent. Thank you, Richard. You really uh, satisfy my uh, curiosity and hunger for more knowledge. Uh, there's nothing better than having an expert and uh, getting um, answers like this. Next slide contains a report from ABC 10 aired on March 2015 in San Diego. And it talks about a different aspect of cell towers. Let's watch the newscast. A Team 10 consumer alert tonight. The more we rely on smartphones, the more data we want and the more antennas we need. But at what cost? Workers say they're getting injured working on those antennas and the constant push for more towers is putting them at risk. Team 10 troubleshooter Kristen Severin joins us. And Kristen, you talked to a San Diego company with a solution to keeping them safe. Yeah, there are 600,000 cell phone tower sites in the United States. They're everywhere on the sides of buildings, streetlights, water tanks. But Team 10 learned thousands of those towers violate federal rules that are supposed to keep workers safe. It hurts like how. Benjamin Revis has worked on cell phone towers for 14 years. I was dealing with them day in and day out. He quit after an antenna that should have been powered down was still live. Physically burned my hand. The burn is a work injury you can see. You burn on the outside, but internally it, it blisters. Other problems he said caused by the towers aren't as easy to spot. Depression, and I got I get headaches from time to time, and 
uh, mood swings and stuff. Revis is one of 250,000 workers a year. An insurance rating agency said gets too close to these antennas. They act as an open microwave and can cause eye damage, sterility, and cognitive damages. What we're going to go do is well, I'm going to show you the invisible footprint of these potentially hazardous areas that workers don't see. Drew Fountain has a $20,000 meter that measures the RF frequencies. And the amount of power that really comes off a lot of these antennas. He co-founded RF Check. Talk about. A San Diego company that tracks where every tower is in the U.S. There's 22. An RF frequency over 20% can injure people. Over 100% can burn someone. We're over the limit for the workers. Cell phone tower workers, roofers, painters, anyone that comes in contact with the antennas. I got a, a 150 reading this morning. Many tower sites have these signs. Does anybody even see these? Signs are dismissed by workers. This doesn't really say anything beyond this point. The law requires that the workers be made aware of these areas before they get near them. And that's not being done today. Since 1985, the FCC has required workers be made aware of these dangers, but doesn't say how to alert them. The FCC gave notice of a proposed rule change two years ago for the cell companies and site owners to figure out the how. Recognize what these are. Fountain said that hasn't happened. Phone providers are looking the other way and not protecting the local guy. From here to here is the RF danger zone. Fountain wants workers to know about these areas before they show up to any cell phone site. Fountain helped develop RF check to do just that the only comprehensive database of every wireless antenna in the nation. They're working with the FCC to get it used across the entire industry. Workers would check the tower sites before any job. RF check would be paid for like E911. That's the fee we pay for emergency services. So you could see a few cents more on your cell phone bill, but they are still trying to figure out that exact amount. I'm Team 10 troubleshooter Kristen Severin. Okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> um. Well, one of the things that uh, I want to bring to the attention, and I'm going to be writing to those, uh, you know, union workers, and it's this, the difference, because before, 10 years ago, the accidents from cell tower antennas, there were people falling, you know, for more, for more than 100 feet. Those were the casualties. Now you're getting burns and, like he said, mood swings. And, and, one, and, and one of the things that, I want Richard to explain because he's he's got the technical thing, you know, the technical knowledge about it. But I just got the basic, um, and perhaps it's good that I explain on on normal non-engineering terms. And it is that each panel emits the equivalent of a hundred watts, like a hundred watt bulb. When you when you put your hand in front of a hundred watt bulb, you don't get burned. So even having four panels at four hundred watts, that that's not enough to burn you, unless there are microwave beams coming out of it. So I'll let, so, you know, it's gonna be interesting and, and perhaps, you know, there are boots on the ground that like to do a FOIA requests. It'd be interesting to find out with OSHA, uh, the, the different kinds of accidents that these cell tower workers have been having year per year. And, and we'll see an increase in these burns and these like, a kind of accidents that didn't happen 10 years ago. Why are they happening now? And I will defer to Richard for, to Richard to explain to you because um, that's my gut instinct tells me they're getting in the way of these uh, microwave attacks. Richard. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the little news clip kind of makes it clear. Um, 
I, I would certainly uh, suspect that uh, the beam forming is involved in, in at least some of these burns. Um, it's hard to imagine how a 100 watt panel antenna is burning someone both on the surface of the skin and, and deep into the skin. So, um, yeah, I, I would strongly suspect that uh, beam forming was involved in at least some of these burns. That's something we're, we're targeted justice is going to be spending uh, some time researching uh, or, uh, for the rest of this year. Uh, levels and details about these OSHA reports to see if we can get some clarification on when and where and why these burns are happening. Fair enough. This is uh, what strikes me is that this news report is dated 2015. Today's 2023. It hasn't gotten any better. Uh, the technology has only gotten stronger, more powerful, and yet there's a total silence in the mainstream media. Well, this is the new environment that we live in. Now it's time time for questions uh, from Twitter. When I announced this uh, week's uh, theme of cell towers and beam forming, I asked people uh, on Twitter to ask questions. Verilux is asking how to tell which towers have been weaponized. Is the is the one with four bars all the same length? Are they the ones with different size bars, one long with one short? Or how can we determine which of the 40 cell towers within a three-mile radius are being weaponized? Okay, so um, the, the easiest way to spot a weaponized cell tower is when you see uh, four panel antennas. It, we should clarify that it doesn't have to be weaponized just because there's four panel antennas, but it likely is. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is all four of those panels don't have to be the same length. Um, it's very typical here in Houston and, and other areas I've been through in the last year where we see they're using maybe an old uh, 3G, uh, a couple of 4G antennas, and then maybe a 5G on, on one end. And the 5G are the very, fairly small, you know, maybe 12 inches by 12 inches. The 5G are the, are the small panel antennas. And that combination is still four panel antennas that gives them the beam forming capability. Um, it's not the best way to do it, but there's reasons why they do that, because that 5G antenna is, is, is a dual purpose. It's, it's allowing them to use frequencies that are much higher than the 3G or 4G panel antennas can use. And it's simultaneously also being used in beamforming. So the, the panel is, is, is serving uh, a dual purpose. And as we mentioned before, it's doing multiple frequencies, receiving multiple frequencies at the same time. And it's also acting in concert with beamforming. So you've got many different things there happening at the same time. MIMO, multiple input, multiple output. That's what those intent, those panel antennas are doing. All right, thank you. Let's move on. Uh, Gabriel Almeida uh, asked a lot of questions, but I uh, these are the ones that um, most related to the today's topic. Do we have any legal means of knowing who is controlling the antenna signals? And... Um, Karen Stewart told about uh, Ryberg sensors, if I got it right, if I got it right, which can tell where the attacks are coming from. Is that real? How much does it cost? Richard, do you have any uh, comments? Uh, 
Um, well, um, we think we've spelled out pretty clearly where we believe uh, the signals are controlled from and where the funding is controlled from. Um, it's available on our homepage. Um, um, the, the sensor, the particular sensors that are mentioned here are actually military technology. And um, I would dispute that you can use it to tell exactly where attacks are coming from. Um, in particular applications of that technology, it can be, uh, it can be a directional uh, source, um, it, but it, it is not something that's precise like a microwave beam signal that's pointed from several miles away and accurate to half of an inch. Um, so we are aware of that military technology um, I, I think it's it, it, maybe there's a misunderstanding of its application here. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next question is from my ionospheric. Can beam forming cellular towers sense scalar energy waves? Richard? Uh, some cell towers and some beam forming can use um, scalar waves. If that wasn't true, you wouldn't see instances where um, a, a, a scalar wave and a cell tower was directing a signal that went through multiple buildings to hit a target. And this is where we get so many TIs that are confused and think that their neighbors are targeting them. And it, it's simply just not the case. Your neighbors don't own microwave beam weapon technology. Um, we, we get that question a lot and we've made it clear what our opinion is on it. Um, scalar waves give a microwave beam the ability to penetrate many, many buildings. Uh, the, the quote from Tesla from uh, about 100 years ago, he was the person that discovered scalar waves, said that he predicted a scalar wave could go all the way through the entire Earth and never touch anything. If you can imagine a fine silk thread that is so small and so fine, it can literally go through an atom and not touch anything. Um, that, that's, that's, that's what a scalar wave, it's, it's, it's focused energy um, in, in a very, very fine line. And um, it's clear that, that that's not what does the damage. When you're getting attacked, uh, a scalar wave is what provides the path. It's the particles that get dragged along with it, like the, the wake from a boat in the water. You see the, the some of the water gets pulled forward, even in the wake. The boat doesn't just simply cut through the water. Some of the water gets pulled along forward with the, the motion of the boat. So a scalar wave penetrates through many buildings and the particles that it picks up can be charged particles or from a satellite weapon, you've got charged particles that exist in the ionosphere that can get dragged along with it. And those are the things that hurt. Those charged particles that get dragged along with it that impact your head, that's what hurts so much. It's not the scalar wave. The scalar wave goes right through you and doesn't touch anything. That's not what's hurting you. It's simply providing the path. So I, I hope that answers that question. That's extremely interesting. I, I certainly uh, learned uh, uh, a lot from your answer. Because I, I I was also wondering, because 5G penetration, even though it's a faster connection, it, it delivers uh, more bytes per second. Uh, the, the penetration, when they talk about penetration, they said penetration is 
less than the 4G. That created some dissonance in in, in my understanding, and you you answered it uh, perfectly. Now, now we empowered oh, with more knowledge. I appreciate this. I appreciate this answer. And finally, Abby V. And I think it's more of a comment uh, than a question. And let's see if you agree with it. Beam forming and phased array technology is a multi-generational leap compared to what you would consider a normal broadcast or radio transmission. The technology can be used to focus the beam like a lens and direct it into whatever device or human body. Richard? Yeah, that, that, that's essentially correct. It, it is, it's, just imagine an invisible laser beam that's moving through the air. Um, we've typically seen um, at least the burns that I've received um, from both satellites and cell towers suggest that that beam is the default dimension is about a half of an inch. So imagine a half of an inch beam uh, penetrating many buildings before it reaches you. And it can come from a satellite or a cell tower. Um, we've got multiple examples of that. If you read the, the technology and the specs on our homepage, we've even identified the frequencies that, that many of, of these devices use. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Uh, nothing like having an expert on the panel. This concludes my uh, slides, and I think it's been extremely informative. Our episode is coming to an end, and I would like our guests to share their final thoughts and messages to our viewers on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Anna, why don't you go first? Um, yeah, thank you. Well, I what I want to say is, is really non-related to um, what we have been talking about. I just wanted to thank everybody for their beautiful support and comments uh, in the and and for the anonymous. I I don't know the person that did that video uh, that uh, was in the Substack newsletter. Uh, and uh, I, I just want to say to everybody out there, I this week I wrote um, a, a small two-minute read column called um, on, coward, on Criminals, Cowards, and Heroes. And my bottom line is that each and every one of you is a hero, each targeted individual that has withstood till this day the atrocious punishment and torture by the criminals that are doing it you are a superhero and i am honored uh, that um with all your beautiful comments i i thank them they keep me going like the energizer bunny uh and just from the bottom of my heart i i really love this community and i and i and i am absolutely certain we will be free and if i wasn't i I wouldn't, you know, be with my heart here in my hand telling you this. So uh, thank you all. And thank you, Len. And thank you, Anna, uh, for for your dedication. Richard, uh, your final thoughts, please. Thanks, Len. So uh, I just wanted to wrap it up by saying uh, for those that are interested in the technology, we've got lots of information on our website. There's We've, we've broken down into segments in our newsletter. We're trying to present small pieces at a time that are easily digestible. Please read our newsletter. Pre, please read the information on our website. It's free. Um, we are here to help the targeted community. We don't charge for this. Um, we welcome donations, though. If you are, have the ability, please donate to Targeted Justice at, at patreon.com slash justice. And uh, cor we've got a cornerstone link as well. Um, we have t-shirts for sale on bonfire.com. 
Uh, Devin is arranging uh, T-shirts and, and coffee mugs and lots of other products uh, through Etsy. So please support Targeted Justice. Um, we're just beginning this fight. This is the first of many lawsuits, and we need your support to make this happen. Okay? Thanks, Lance. Thank you, Richard. All these links will be posted in the description of the video so you can uh, donate to our cause, to our legal fight, and to everything that we're doing to empower you, targeted individuals, and our allies in this fight. As for me, I have some thoughts about the International Targeted Individual Day that we will be celebrating this coming Tuesday, August 29th. Yes, it's important to celebrate the unbreakable spirit of the survivors of this inhumane program and of those who perished in the battle. But when I think about it, it is, it, it is even more important to conceive what TIs are going through the day after the International TI Day and the day after and the day after. When slavery was in effect, we didn't, we didn't have an International Slavery Day, but now we have Juneteenth, a federal holiday that celebrates the end of slavery. So when the targeting program is over and there are no more targeted individuals, we will have our own Juneteenth holiday. Until that happens, every day is a TI day. And so we will be here every Sunday. Rain. Oh, shame.